on the, on the phone. Uh, now, we paused last week to spend a little bit of time of Q&A, question and answer time, before starting another series. We seek to regularly take a book of Scripture and unpack its meaning chapter at a time, paragraph at a time, verse by verse, or if need be, a word at a time. We dealt with a question last week, and I would only add in one more caveat, which I'm not going to chase down today. Uh, we were talking about God's all-presence, His omnipresence everywhere, and that to say that God is ontologically present everywhere does not mean His personal moral presence so that, uh, you know, the psalmist can just rightfully say that uh, wherever you are, uh, in heaven or in the place of the dead, you're there. And yes, God is even present in hell. It's not a party place. Uh, the person that you're evangelizing that's saying, I can't wait to be with all my friends there in hell. Um, and I'd mentioned that there, there is a, a degree that uh, we're not going to chase down about what part Satan has. Uh, I sided with Luther that uh, even the devil is God's devil. God is the sovereign one of hell. And think through in the future, and I'm just going to pose this and uh, not spend any time here, but pose the, the judge of all the earth being the sovereign one, the Lamb of Revelation. And so, uh, in, in your thoughts, chase that down and think about that, how that uh, it is the Lamb that will be meeting out judgment there for eternity. The Lamb that John the Revelator puts in vivid portrait on his throne as the one is from whom and to whom belong all the glory. Another question was posed in regards to the church. How is it that the church has succumbed to worldly wisdom, the wisdom of man, in regards to how we counsel one another, we talk about biblical counseling. And, 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 and John, feel free to jump in here if I'm not phrasing the question the way it was uh, posed last week. We use the term biblical counseling. We could j just as rightfully use the term discipleship we could talk about applied sanctification. It's all speaking about the exact same issue in regards to is the Bible sufficient for what we proclaim in the pulpit as well as how we bring it to bear upon every issue of life when it comes to the counseling office. So, when, when Paul testifies to the Ephesian elders there in Acts 20, that uh, publicly and house to house, because there is a great gap today in evangelicalism 
the same churches, the same ministry, the same people who in statements of faith will testify that uh, the Scriptures are sufficient in practicality in the way that that is lived out is that the Bible is not sufficient. I had mentioned a couple of passages to maybe uh, meditate on this week. One would be Second uh, Peter chapter 1. Another would be Psalm 19. When you, when you compare various church ministries out there in the practice of, of counseling, one of the unique features of a church that affirms biblical, nuthetic counseling uh, the counseling movement, the biblical nuthetic counseling movement promotes the conviction that God's Word and His Word alone is sufficient to address the needs of this life and to equip believers for a lifetime of service. Uh, we could even add in here as we connect the sufficiency of Scripture with the inspiration of Scripture when Paul writes to Timothy and he says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It is totally adequate for equipping us for what's right, what's wrong, how to get it right, how to keep it right. That's what he instructs Timothy on. Again, in a, in a Q&A setting, it is, uh, the answers are not exhaustive. There's a lot more on, on our website about uh, biblical counseling, but if we could just take our Bibles and turn over to Psalm 19 and make a, a pit stop here in Psalm 19, it is significant. When you study the, the names of Christ, or actually, I could be even more general than that. When you study the names of God, you understand His character, His attributes, do you not? And to under, understand certain names that are given to Christ in particular, one of those that Isaiah picks up on in Isaiah 9-6 is that this one that is coming, the anointed one of the, uh, the, the Messiah, Christ will be known as a wonderful, what's he say? Wonderful Counselor. I love that picture He gives us in the name of Christ. He is the highest and the ultimate one to whom we can turn for counsel. And that is, in, in essence, what, what Peter piggybacks, up, uh, piggybacks on in 2 Peter 1 when he presents us with the sufficient Word and the sufficient Christ which I hope was clear when we were walking through Second uh, Peter pretty recently this past year. He's the high and ultimate one to whom we turn for counsel. In fact, one of the most glorious aspects of, of Christ's perfect sufficiency is the wonderful counsel and the great wisdom He supplies in our time of despair. You know, as we walk with our Master in the Gospel of Matthew, and we sit at His feet, and we learn from Him as our teacher. He supplies what we need in despair and confusion and fear and anxiety and sorrow. He is, as Isaiah says, the quintessential counselor. 
the wonderful counselor. That's a freebie. I threw it in on your way to Psalm 19. But join me here. In Psalm 19, this is uh, God's word on itself. Biblical counseling, discipling one another, helping each other bring the word to bear upon the issues of a sanctified life. That need is met by spiritually gifted to offer encouragement and, and discernment and comfort and advice and compassion and help to others. This is basically why Jay Adams wrote his book, Competent to Counsel. Competent to Counsel by Jay Adams, if I remember correctly, was the first book I ever read on biblical counseling. I was assigned it while I was a camp counselor at a children's camp at Maine. I was getting credit for it at the Word of Life Bible Institute. And I was, am I was amazed at the case that uh, Dr. Adams presented, how that any believer who is growing in his or her walk with Christ, who is growing in their understanding of Scripture, is competent to counsel. To take this view of counseling being relegated to the realm of the professionals and put it back in the church for soul ministry. Churches probably have not done as well as they could in equipping people with a gifting to minister effectively to fellow believers. Churches, however, looked to psychology to fill the gap, but it's not going to work. Professional psychologists are not a substitute for spiritually gifted people and the counsel that psychology offers cannot replace biblical wisdom, and, nor can it replace divine power as the living and active Word which works in us mightily. So let's peruse through this psalm of sufficiency. Notice with me here in Psalm 19, uh, the psalmist begins his psalm in the first several verses in talking about general revelation, the heavens telling the glory of God, narrating God's glory, God's power being on display. And then he gets more specific to not general revelation, but special or written revelation, the revelation of Scripture. And notice what he tells us there beginning in verse 17. And Notice as we read down through here together, not only the synonyms used for Scripture, but also the synonyms used for its effect, or in other words, its power, what it produces. Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. 
Stop right there. The most monumental and concise statement on the sufficiency of Scripture ever made was penned here. In these three verses, verses 7, 8, and 9, they give us unwavering testimony from God Himself about how sufficient His Word is. And it counters the teaching of those that believe God's Word has to be augmented or added to, gleaned from modern psychology. In three verses, David makes six explicit statements to help us devour and embrace and live in light of the law of God. Notice his first statement in verse 7. Scripture's perfect, restoring the soul. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. That word perfect is the translation of a common Hebrew word meaning it is whole. The law of the Lord is whole. It is complete. It is sufficient. It conveys the idea of something that is comprehensive. This is one of the problems uh, or one of the difficulties that your pastors face when they come to either a passage of Scripture or a statement. You, when, uh, you know, as, as I train other expositors here in the, in the ministry, you, you want to say everything there is on that verse or that subject that you talk, and you just can't. Scripture, the more you study it, uh, do you ever exhaust it? No, it just gets deeper and wider. Even, even familiar passages. Every time you go back to it, you get another nugget of truth, another aspect of looking at it. It is absolutely comprehensive, embodying all that's necessary for one's spiritual life. So what David implies by the inspiration of the Spirit of God, he implies a contrast with the imperfect, the insufficient, and the flawed reasoning of men. God's perfect law, David says, affects people by restoring the soul. Since it is comprehensive, lacking nothing, to paraphrase David's words, Scripture is so powerful, since it is comprehensive, here's its effect. It restores the soul. It is so powerful, it can take somebody that is dead and make them alive. Think of some of the New Testament instruction on this. As certain apostles write to us, like James, in James chapter 1, how that God brings us to new life by the word of truth. It, that, is, that is its power. Uh, when, when Paul says that I am not ashamed of the gospel, why? Romans 1.16. It is the, it's the power source. This is the dynamite of God, the dynam, you know, that dynamic force of God. Why don't we hang our heads low when we 
talk with people about a crucified Savior. Because He conquered the dead. He conquered the grave. He conquered sin. That's why we don't hang our head. This is the power source of God, the power of the message preached. David said, Scripture is perfect. It is, it is a comprehensive whole so it can restore our soul. It can convert. It can transform the entire person, changing someone into precisely the person God wants them to be. That's why Jesus could say, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. It's not only powerful enough to save a person, it's powerful enough to sanctify that same person. That's why the writer of Hebrews can, says that it's living and active. And where does it get to? It gets where you and I can't get to. It gets down to the joints and marrow. It, it does soul issues. You know, if all we do is human reasoning and human intellect and human wisdom, that's got a limit. Is there some profitability? There could be. But why take the blunt butter knife of man's wisdom to replace it with the sword of the Spirit? And again, I'd, uh, let me exegete my uh, intensity and my facial expressions that may be coming through. I'm convinced of this truth, and I do not uh, put it in any kind of tonality to try to put down those that have succumbed to the wisdom of the world. But the church needs to wake up to what God's given her. He's given His church two elements, one living, actually both of them living, one a person, the Spirit, and then His Word. So David says, the law is perfect, restoring the soul. Professional psychologists are no substitute for spiritually gifted people, and the counsel that psychology offers cannot replace biblical wisdom or divine power. Number two statement. He says that the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The, the Scriptures are trustworthy. They impart us wisdom. So, David further expands the sweep of scriptural sufficiency. He uses that word, sure. Notice it. A little word, a little itty-bitty four-letter word. God's word is sure. That means that his testimonies are unwavering. Take it to the bank. It's better than the... Who, who under... Uh, underwrite, uh, I, have to, I always get the... FDIC, thank you. It's more sure than that. It is unwavering, immovable, unmistakable, reliable, and worthy. So it can be trusted. So that when we take the Word of God into our situation, we can say, well, I'm not experiencing that. I don't see that. But I've got to live in light of it. I've got to trust. It's sure. Everything else is unsure. It provides a foundation to build our lives and our eternal destinies upon. And notice this sure foundation that will come to pass, that is the truth, the last truth, the last word on the matter. He says it makes wise the simple. The Hebrew word translated simple 
comes from an expression of an open door. It conjures up the image of a naive person who doesn't know to shut his mind to false or impure teaching. When you state something as an absolute fact, a truth, a non-negotiable, the world doesn't want to hear absolute and non-negotiable. When you are intolerant, uh, you know, to, to piggyback on Carson's book, The Intolerance of Tolerance, when you state something is indeed sin that they label as a poor cultural conformity, I don't know what to do with that, but I don't know what to do with sin, confess and forsake. You peop- the world wants to say, well, just expand your horizons, open your mind. Listen, beloved, I've been replacing rotten windows in my house, and the last thing I do after I put a good window in is make sure I put the screen in. Yeah, open the window, open your mind, but make sure everything passes through. As we've been reading through Acts this week, make sure you're agreeing, putting everything through the filter of Scripture. Doesn't fit, throw it out. Don't let it in. That's kind of the imagery that uh, David's given us here. He says that the, the, the Word of God, the testimony of the Lord, is sure, makes wise the simple. This man that is under the tutelage of the Word of God is skilled in the art of godly living. He's learned how to negotiate the curbs, how to how to take the Word of God, and and though he's not a perfect practitioner, a perfect doer of the Word, he's learned to see the landmines or the potholes of life and navigate around them. That is this man. He once was characterized as simple. Now he is characterized as wise. So skilled in the art of godly living. He submits to Scripture. He knows how to apply it to his circumstances. So it takes a simple mind with no discernment and makes that person skilled in living. Sign me up, baby. Right? That's our response. So notice, notice the next verse in uh, verse number 8. Third statement. The precepts of the Lord. Notice what word he uses here. They're right. Precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Now, lest you read your English presupposition into the word right, okay, well, the Bible just uh, tells us what's right as opposed to what's wrong. Well, it's not just what's right as opposed to what's wrong. But right has the sense of showing somebody the true path. We can go through life down a lot of rabbit trails, a lot of unworthy pursuits, so that when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, well, we're, we're to be seeking other things, but making sure that that's the priority of our lives. It doesn't mean that uh, we're not taking care of other issues of life when we're seeking the kingdom. Scripture and its truth lays out the proper path 
through the difficult maze of life. And we were praying today, spent a little bit of time. I, I said that uh, we wanted to spend some prolonged amount of time praying with each other and, and for each other. Uh, it's a hectic time for a lot of people. There are a lot of difficulties going on. Life is just really difficult at, right now for a lot of people. So what's that a call for? It's a, number one, it's a call for praying with each other. And number two, it's a call to navigate with the word of truth through these issues that we respond biblically to these issues of life. And so it's the precepts of the Lord that are going to help us make those right decisions and to na navigate the curves. Scripture lays out the proper path through this maze. People are distressed or despondent because they lack direction and purpose, and most of them seek answers from the wrong sources. First place we need to go, if, if we take David at his word as he presents the sufficient Scriptures to us, not the last place, but the first place we go is to the Word of God, whatever the issue. Yep. God's Word not only provides light to our path, David says that in Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Yeah, it does that. But it not only lights the path, it provides the path. Here's the proper route. You know, we're getting ready in a few weeks to go up to the family camp in Maine. And, you know, as you got your headlamp on and going up to the outhouse, you can navigate around the roots and everything else that's going to trip you up. David says, here it is. It not only lights your path, but it shows you the right path. The world's going to present a lot of paths to us. Don't take them. Stay clear. And because it, dis, because it steers us through the right course of life, God's Word brings joy. When we're navigating life through the lens of Scripture, there, there's joy in that journey. There's this sense of confidence. If a person's depressed, anxious, fearful, or doubting, the solution is not found in... Uh, self-indulgent pursuits and, uh, and self-esteem, and they're there. You'll be better. You're a good person after all. The solution is found in learning to obey God's counsel and share in the resulting delight. This is, this is the source of true lasting joy. So, so its precepts are right, providing the right path, and it causes our hearts to rejoice as we pursue it. Number four statement he makes there in verse 8. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Fourth characteristic of Scripture about its utter sufficiency is that it's pure. I don't know how many other translations we've got here uh, this morning, but you could uh, probably better translate that word pure as the Bible is clear. It is lucid. It indicates that Scripture is not mystifying. God is not like the person playing trivial pursuit with you that can't wait to stump you. That's not His word of how many answers you can get wrong <laughs> and how much truth He can withhold. It's not filled with all these secret codes that we need to decode and then have a bunch of PhDs after our name in order to unpack 
You know, this was one of the errors of Catholicism before it was, uh, before the Reformation came along. Let's, let's, you know, the lay people, they can't understand God's truth anyways. It is lucid. It is clear. It reveals truth to make the dark things light, bringing eternity into bright and vivid focus. Now, again, if I could refer back to 2 Peter that we've studied recently, what did, when, when, when Peter threw Paul under the bus graciously, what did, he, what did he say about some of Paul's writings? He said some of what Paul wrote is hard to understand. When we say that the Bible is clear, that it is lucid, that it is pure, we're not saying that there aren't some hard things. Hard things to understand? Yeah. Can you spell, uh, explain hypostatic union? Or, or what did we talk about the, uh, uh, last week in regards to the uh, ontological presence of God? Yeah, there, there are some difficult concepts in Scripture, but God's clear. God doesn't stutter. He's given us a clear, pure word to understand because of its absolute clarity. You know, it, uh, I think it was last week Pastor Joey had made, uh, made reference to one of the flaws of the emerging church. You know, uh, you know, in their hermeneutics of humility, they want to say that, well, I'm too humble to suggest that I should actually know what the Bible says. Well, that's, a, that's a false humility. God expects us to understand and unpack what He means by what He says. Scripture brings understanding where there's ignorance. It brings us order where there's confusion. When we're going through life and we're having a hard time navigating and have a hard time figuring it out, go to the infinite mind of Christ. It gives us light where there is spiritual or moral darkness in stark contrast to, to the muddled musings of unredeemed men who themselves are blind. You know, why go to a, uh, a secular psychologist to help make your marriage better when they're on their third marriage? Don't you think they haven't figured it out about the architect of marriage? There's so much more that could be uh, said, and as I notice that uh, time is shot, where does it go? In eternity, we're not going to have time. We're not going to have clocks or watches. You notice how the psalm closes. Fifth statement, Scripture is clean, enduring forever. Sixthly, Scripture is true, it's altogether righteous. Pray with me. Father, I of most men recognize the total inadequacy to try to capture and even communicate how great and glorious the thing you've done in providing us with your mind in Scripture. These are finite minds of ours trying to understand the infinite. Give us greater conviction as we submit under the authority of Scripture knowing that it is inspired by you, it is inerrant without error, that it is absolutely sufficient for how we conduct ministry in the local church, how we live lives to glorify our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Many times it's been just through lack of, lack of discipline and 
laziness and not searching scriptures. Help us to be convinced like never before of the absolute sufficiency of your word for what we proclaim and how we live. Help us to live under the umbrella and to work out this great doctrine of your all-sufficient word. You've given us the sword of the Spirit for us to wage spiritual warfare in a way that leads us into victory. Might we never sell your word short. Might we see through man's flawed logic and wisdom for what it is. Thank you for your word. And as we meditate on it and even prepare our hearts for the Lord's table and corporate worship and the service later, might you elicit in us greater gratitude for this treasure trove of heavenly wisdom. We'll give you all the praise in Christ's name. Amen.